Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And this is Giuliano DeVitantonio. I'm the CEO of Atlas Edge. Mr. DV Tantonio, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, and also, thank you for not having a cold, because uh, <laughs> Kelsey and I both sound like we're, we're in uh, uh, NyQuil commercials, <laughs> but uh, but you sound great. So so thanks for uh, being part uh, of the that, podcast. That's my miracle, because I, I flew this morning from Berlin to London, and it was snowing in Berlin when I, when I left. Oh, wow. So okay. I, so I wasn't prepared been, for that. <laughs> you've already had to deal with airports and everything this morning. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so, and I mean, actually let's, let's talk about, let's get right into, um, your company Atlas edge. So, uh, could you give us a, so this is part of the, um, uh, uh, a conglomerate that owns a bunch of different, um, digital infrastructure concerns. Um, and, and, and I think that should be pointed out because it's like, it's, it's a part of a much bigger portfolio that's completely focused on building out, um, you know, in-building cellular uh, edge, you know, uh, edge networking data centers and so on. But uh, but what's the background on Atlas Edge specifically? We actually part of two portfolios because we are a, we are a JV between two giants in in the digital infrastructure world. Okay. Uh, on one side we have a, a one of the leading private equity firms investing in this space, Digital Bridge. And they indeed own uh, several pillars and, and many companies in each pillar uh, of digital infrastructure, but also uh, Liberty Global, uh, uh, one of the leading telecommunication companies in the world. They also have a, a portfolio of companies in, in, in digital infrastructure. So uh, Atlas Edge was formed in September 21 as a, as a joint venture between these two investors and uh, with a very precise mission, uh, which is to, to build the leading uh, uh, edge data center platform in Europe. And uh, so it's a 50-50 joint venture between these two investors. Okay. And you've had uh, quite a bit of uh, background in data center, uh, you know, as an executive. You've, you've worked, it seems like, in almost every post <laughs> in various data center companies over your career. Um, uh, were, were you ever in the telecom space, like, like purely in the uh, sort of service provider area? Uh, interesting enough, no, I, I, I've not worked for a service provider, but I did my, my university degree in telecommunications. Uh, and then uh, uh, when I when I graduated, I had to choose between two offers, and one was from from a telco provider, and one was from Hewlett Packard. And I picked Hewlett Packard was a, was a good choice. I spent many years at Hewlett Packard. Then uh, then I joined Cisco. So with these two companies, I got a very good understanding of the the software and the, and the hardware that goes into data centers. And then uh, in 2015, I came back to Europe because I, I I lived in the US for almost 15 years. I came back to Europe uh, to join Interaction, which was one of the leading European providers of data center services. Uh, I was there for uh, six years until Interaction got acquired by Digital Realty, one of the global leaders, actually the largest uh, data center provider in terms of uh, footprint in the world. And uh, I was with Digi Digital Realty for two years uh, prior to joining uh, Atlas Edge. Excellent. So you've been around this uh, uh, quite a bit and you've seen quite a quite a number of changes in the networking and data center world uh, uh, since this happened. Um, uh, Kelsey, I'll yield to you. I, I have more questions, but I want to, mm -hmm. I want to 
not not hog the whole podcast yeah. as I'm prone to do. <laughs> um, Juliana, you had a, a recent blog that was pretty interesting about five observations at the edge and wanted to pick your brain a little bit more about some of your points around uh, how applications are changing in terms of, uh, you know, the intelligence of applications, but also um, the types that are emerging. How does that change uh, edge computing strategies and, and pr approaches there? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that you 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 picked on picked up on that on that post. Uh, we put a lot of thought into what we see as the key trends uh, for edge. But the bottom line is that edge is nothing new, right? We've we've had uh, compute capacity and storage capacity at the edge for uh, for many many years. Uh, what's changing is uh, is the, the the requirements of those applications and uh, in particular the amount of data that needs to be stored and process and processed at, at the edge. Um, just to give some examples, there are some applications that are, are, are really increasing the, the amount of what we call sensory input, uh, the amount of data that gets collected, the, the resolution of, for instance, if you have an image, higher resolution, higher uh, sample rate, that's an example. Uh, some applications are becoming more intelligent, like uh, autonomous vehicle is, is, is a classic example. Uh, some applications are, are really cutting uh, uh, you know, cutting a new frontier in terms of, uh, of requirements like uh, uh, augmented reality, uh, IoT, 5G. Uh, so those are really more of the, the cutting edge. And uh, uh, some some other applications are just uh, uh, applications that have been in existence for uh, for a long time, but they are being deployed closer and closer to uh, to the end users uh, in points on the network that provide better latency to, to the end user. So there's a there's a number of, of trends that are at play that all point to the edge as the next place where a lot of uh, of computing capacity is going to be processed. Uh, but the, the you know the, the, these are new applications, but the edge has always been there. And it's just the amount of the, the volume of data and and the, and the amount of applications that require that that it's really changing. I've got a um, a, a rather open-ended question, I guess, about the edge is given. Your business, you might actually know this. Like, what? Who? Who decides to build at the edge? You know, because it's always sort of this thing of uh, everyone needs capacity, lower latency, and connectivity at the edge. But depending on who you talk to, there's if you talk to application developers, there's sort of just this assumption that the that the infrastructure is going to be there, and and you're in the infrastructure business, but you also have service providers and. Uh, cloud providers that are also uh, adding to their edge capabilities. Um, so I guess I, I guess that's that's where I'll leave it. Is is who's uh, who's responsible for building the edge, or or do you build it on an as needed basis based on you know what you, where your customers are guiding you? Well, we as Atlas Edge, we definitely build as needed by by our customers. So we are not going to speculate on where the edge is or what the edge is. Uh, there's a lot of lot of this is a very overloaded term, so we don't want to add to that debate. Uh, we work closely with the, exactly the customers that you described, the the what we call the service pro the platform providers, the service provider, digital media content providers. Those are the the main drivers of consumption at the edge. Uh, and ultimately, their consumers, their users, whether they're businesses or, 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 or individual consumers, they decide what needs to be processed at the edge. Uh, then the question becomes, is it financially viable to build capacity at the edge to satisfy those needs? Right? There's always a trade-off between application requirements and financial viability. 
uh, you know, constructing data centers uh, requires a, a lot of investment, and, uh, and and then the financial equation needs to needs to work out. So uh, working very closely with the customers, understanding their requirement, in turn understanding the the customers customers requirement, and then deciding whether there's a there's a financial proposition to to build, or in some cases you know may not may not make sense to to build capacity at the edge. Let me give you an example, right? Uh, people talk a lot about autonomous vehicles, and I know there's a there's still those who believe that uh, they will require data centers to almost uh, follow the follow follow the, the car along or the, the 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 car following the data centers. In reality, I believe there's going to be enough capacity inside the car to do most of the data storage and data processing within the car inside the car. And so, in that case, in that specific use, use case, I believe the role of data centers would be fairly marginal. They they could play a role, but it would be fairly marginal. You know, I, I don't see a, a viable case for building data center just along a, along a highway or a motorway. Uh, <laughs> but it will be uh, because again, there's a, there's a lot of lot of capacity there that that yeah. is in the car inside the car. But other applications that, for instance, we we use on our devices that we carry in our hands, that's a totally different story because the, the compute capacity there is going to be pretty limited. So having a data center nearby where you can do, for instance, the image rendering, that makes a ton of sense. So it's going to be really almost application by application uh, the decision is going to be made. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a, it's a, it's it's an interesting, uh, slightly more complex sort of scenario than what we have now. But it does uh, it does kind of answer my question of like, yeah, where where is that capacity initially going to be located? You know, because I I I think I I definitely agree with you that that the build and wait for it is 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 not the best. Yeah strategy but there is a little bit of that going on except that in the service provider world except that they already have an idea of where you know where the biggest strains on their network are so they're 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 maybe not as speculative as it seems sometimes they 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 already you know triangulate where usage is occurring and and they can kind of extrapolate out you know what what new applications are going to be happening Absolutely. The service providers are going to be some of the drivers. Uh, for instance, anything to do with 5G right, is going to happen at the edge. So they, they understand 5G, they understand uh, the requirements of the applications that will leverage 5G. So they are very well positioned to determine uh, what type of capacity is required in, a, you know, in, 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 uh, in relation to 5G. So that's why we're working with them very closely. That's another category of customers that are going to play a big role in defining the requirements. Yeah, and I thought you made some other um, interesting points in the blog too about um, data sovereignty and sustainability um, as some other uh, you know requirements to consider when when pushing to the edge. Um, can you talk a little bit more about um, you know what to consider? Uh, whether you should focus on edge computing. I mean, you mentioned like with autonomous vehicles, there, you know, not every application is going to need it. <laughs> so um, if, if you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, especially here in Europe, uh, uh, certainly data sovereignty, but also sustainability are, are, are a big driver. I, I think data sovereignty in particular is very specific to Europe more than North America, uh, because there's going to be more and more a stringent requirement to store and process the data within within the country's border. Right? In the US, that doesn't happen as much within the state border, but certainly in, in Europe, within the country country's border. And so uh, the geographic fragmentation of Europe in, in, in that case really plays a role in, in having a more distributed uh, you know, digital infrastructure uh, 
footprint because you really need to 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 be within within the country borders. So data sovereignty very specific to Europe and, and a big driver. Uh, but sustainability is a more global trend, of course, right? And um, uh, today, what's happening with with the, with the big uh, cloud uh, deployments? They're just getting so big that it's almost impossible to manage them. And so we are seeing that uh, when you have a concentration of of um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of megawatt in, in megawatts in the same location, uh, we're seeing in, in multiple cities around the world. So all sorts of limitations being put on how much more capacity you can deploy. So to me, that in itself would be a, a massive drive to be more and more distributed, basically uh, less capacity in more locations. We are seeing this from customers. We are seeing this from regulators. Uh, but it also starts making sense when you actually look at some of the uh, uh, the, the sustainability aspects that. Uh, would make the, the whole industry more uh, uh, more friendly to the environment. Uh, for instance, the, the, the ability to reuse the heat uh, that the data center produce, uh, that is a, a big factor that could help uh, uh, injecting you know, energy back into the, into the, the environment. And uh, uh, the consumption of the heat that gets reused needs to be within a certain uh, radius of where it is produced. And so if you have all of that capacity concentrated, say, around the, I know, Frankfurt in Germany, uh, the, the ability to, to, to reuse that heat within that geographical area is very limited. But if you start now having 10 locations within Germany or 20 locations within Germany, where you do that, there's a much broader population that can reuse the, the heat that gets produced. So that, from a sustainability standpoint, in itself is, is, is a big plus. So there's a number, again, number of trends that point to the fact that we're going to see uh, more, much more distributed data center capacity in, in the next decade than we've seen in the past decade. How specifically are they reusing the heat? Um, I, I, I'm picturing a world where we have hot yoga and uh, humidors opening up next to data centers. <laughs> hard hard pass on that. Hot yoga. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's incredible because that's exactly the same idea that well, a member of my team had. <laughs> uh, we had to, you know, we are designing a data center in a specific location arranged. and say, what would be the ideal business to put next to the data center to maximize yeah. the, the heat reuse? And they came out with the other spa, right? So they said yeah. the spa would be the perfect business. Pipe it in and be like, here you go, 120 degrees, no problem. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a smart I, I mean, spa, the, the, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a smart, smart spa, spa. All right. <laughs> Consuming a lot of data as well. Right. So it's a... <laughs> I've, I've, I mean, uh, I've seen worse ideas in terms of the fitness trends, but, um, but I'm curious, I am curious though, that, uh, uh, so the, the reuse of heat, how, uh, does that happen in more of an, in, in, in industrial applications or is that able to, you know, is that, is that used in, uh, adjacent businesses? Like, like exactly how do they reuse the heat? Industrial, but also residential. We can oh, heat. Okay. We can heat apartments. We can heat oh, homes. Great. Okay. So uh, it's just been you know, putting putting the heat back into into a good use rather than having it wasted in, in, right. in the environment. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, another, you know, so sustainability is clearly, you know, and, and Atlas Edge is a global company. They've got, you know, what is it? You're in a hundred countries or something like that. No, we are at the moment we only operate in Europe, so uh, we are roughly a dozen countries at the moment. But we we plan to go to more countries across Europe. But I'm we are in more than hundred. It must have been a hundred locations. Hundred locations. 100, uh, yeah, across okay, Europe. that's what yes. it was. I got the, the data confused, um, uh, and I'm I'm 
I'm training myself not to look at Google. I wouldn't be able to, to name 100 countries around the world. I maybe can, maybe I can. It's because Phil did some hot yoga before. Oh, I could podcast, definitely, so. I could definitely name 100 countries because I, I'm always, uh, I've always got the wanderlust of, uh, you know, where should, where should I go next? Um, but, uh, but what I was going to ask is, you know, so sustainability and, and data sovereignty shapes the structure of, you know, how, how much and where you can build out capacity. The next thing I think would be, um, uses of, uh, artificial intelligence and just the kind of larger computing and, and latency requirements on that. Has that started to affect, um, how data centers are built or how they're, uh, how the data is consumed, uh, from, from your point of view? Absolutely. Not. First of all, I mentioned data sovereignty and sustainability, but those are only two of the factors. At the end of the day, the main driver, uh, you know, in terms of deciding where you place data centers, there's an incredibly high correlation with GDP. GDP and eyeballs, right? Where the money, where, where the people are, that's where data centers tend, tend, tend to go. Sure. Uh, so that's the that's main driver. But yes, new applications like AI uh, shape, shape the, the requirement. And AI in particular is driving a much higher density. Uh, and when we, what we mean with density is the amount of power uh, per, per, per unit of, of the uh, surface that you need to, to, uh, to drive an application. In the case of AI, uh, the data processing uh, requirements are so intense that uh, you, know, it, it, you, you almost double or triple the, the traditional density you would have for a, for a more, uh, more traditional applica application. So uh, certainly a big driver, not just in terms of demand, but also in terms of shaping uh, the requirements for a, for a data center capacity, which in turn you know, requires technical innovation. Now, now you can start thinking that you need to do immersive cooling uh, in order to cool a data center that had that level of, of density and capacity. So yes, AI is going gonna, is gonna to change a lot of aspects of our life, but uh, also data center architecture for sure. Makes sense. Uh, Kelsey, you have a follow-up or... Uh... Next question. I have, uh, I have one more. Yeah. I was just curious. Um, I know I keep looking at your blog, but there's so much to unpack there. <laughs> um, and there was, uh, you know, a point about, um, aggregation hubs and proximity hubs and was wondering if you could talk more about, um, you know, what those are and, and what that means for, um, accessing edge computing. Yes. So if you think of, of what the, what a data center does, right? Uh, it performs certain functions, but ultimately boils down to a couple of main things. One, uh, data centers that are that become a, an aggregation point for data and traffic that comes from multiple companies or multiple users, right? Uh, historically, you know, those were the called carrier neutral data centers because that's where all the telco providers would, would co-locate to exchange traffic. So if you call, I don't know, if you call an Uber, for instance, uh, all the all the service providers wants to be in the same location where Uber it can interconnect with them. So no matter which provider you use, which mobile provider you use, uh, you will get your your uh, your Uber call routing. Right. So that's a uh, uh, that's one type of data center that it really becomes an aggregation hub for traffic and data from multiple players. And then there are data centers that are more focused on actual data processing, and in some cases from multiple companies, but in some cases just even from from one company. And uh, you know most of the hyperscale data centers that we hear about, the, the 100 plus megawatts, they're actually dedicated to a single company that uses that data to do most of the data processing and data storage. Of course, those data centers need to be connected back to the to the aggregation hubs, 
but they tend to be more, uh, uh, more dedicated. So uh, at the edge, we will see both types. We will see uh, the aggregation hubs where all the data gets exchanged, and you will see more and more locations where data, that data exchange takes place. Today, if you take a country like the UK, where I live, uh, there's a couple of aggregation hubs in London, and there's one emerging in Manchester. Uh, we believe that within the next decade, we're going to have at least 10 to 12 aggregation hubs across the UK in cities like Leeds, uh, Man um, Birmingham, Bristol, Glasgow, Edinburgh, uh, Cardiff. We see more locations where the data aggregation takes place. And we are seeing exactly the same thing in the US. Historically, in the US, there were four or five locations, North Virginia, New York, Chicago, Dallas, and, and Silicon Valley, where most of the data aggregation took place. Now you start seeing in places like uh, uh, Raleigh, uh, Milwaukee, uh, Denver, uh, Portland, uh, many, many more locations where you see that aggregation. So that's one type of data center will be, become more and more regionalized. Uh, but then the pure dedicated data center or the, 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 the ability to uh, do data processing will be much, much closer to the end users. And that's where the notion of proximity hub becomes important because you really want to have that data center really close to the end user. That's where latency, uh, bandwidth consumption becomes a factor and you want to be very, very close to the end user. So the proximity hub will be, be a, 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 another big driver. Uh, again, uh, focus more on, uh, on the, uh, the, the data storage and processing. And in some cases, you will have both, both functions perform in the same data center. You will have data center can be both an aggregation hub and a proximity hub, but the requirements will be different and from different applications. Interesting. Um, we're, we're getting a little tight on time, but I have, I have one more question just in terms of trends um, that you're looking, you know, as you're, as you're looking out uh, over the, you know, the next year or so. Um, what, what industries seem to be uh, consuming more data center capacity and kind of, t and, and maybe even using the cloud more? Um, because I know that I, I would assume that, you know, earlier on your business was dominated by tech-specific and connectivity-oriented businesses and, and industries, but uh, has there been any change in the industry mix uh, that you're seeing in terms of where the where the growth is coming from? Well, in terms of who buys data center capacity for a company like, like Atlas Edge, uh, the transition you just described is the main one. It used to be telco service providers that were the main consumers of data center capacity. Today is the hyperscalers uh, what we call the platforms, the the, the big, uh, no, the big five, the big ten uh, the, um, platform providers. However, what's interesting to see who consumes the platform that these 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 uh, these players make available. Right? What are the verticals within the industry that, that consume a lot of that? And I've seen historically a lot of content companies, content providers, digital media companies, you know, providing the lion's share, especially with when video became became critical. Uh, video consumes more data than any other application. So video has been a big, big driver. And I think when you move from video to uh, augmented reality, that would be the next, uh, the next big driver. So within the platform uh, world, uh, I would say digital media, anything content related is going to be a, is going to be a big driver. Uh, of course, financial services, you're going to see, a, a, you know, historically big users of data centers and with all the, all the AI, uh, all the data processing happening in that industry, also uh, big, big, uh, big consumption, and probably healthcare more and more as it gets more distributed and closer to the end users. So those are the, the big three that we we tend to monitor. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, that's uh, it's uh, not terribly surprising, but it is interesting that they are um, that that you have that visibility down into the customer's customer. I guess that's uh, 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 one thing that um, that's where I guess the workloads kind of change in terms of their uh, capacity needs and maybe latency as well. That that's key to understand the customer customer requirements is absolutely critical mm-hmm. because uh, you mentioned workloads. So what we refer to as workload placement depends on what applications uh, the customer customer use. And if we don't have visibility into that, you will never, you will never be able to, to predict where that placement takes place. Makes sense. Okay, well, uh, I think we should wrap it up here uh, for, the, for the sake of time. Uh, Kelsey, thanks so much, uh, as ever, for, uh, for doing what you do. And uh, I want to thank our guest, uh, Giuliano Di Vitantonio. Did I say it correctly that time? Perfect. Spot on. Okay. Getting better and better each time. You know, he's the CEO of Atlas Edge, and he pronounces his name way better than I do. But uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, and your patience uh, on our podcast today. Th- thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh-huh.